Welcome to the SAMA podcast. We ask the smartest customer-facing people in B2B how to become trusted advisors to the customers their companies can't afford to lose. I'm Harvey Dunham. I'm delighted to say that Chris Ferguson is joining us. Chris is the, the VP of uh, Business Development and Delivery at the Summit Group. And he leads Summit's practice in quantification and the monetization of value. Uh, it, along the, his career, he's worked as an investment banker, and he's held executive roles both in sales and in finance for startup companies and Fortune 500 companies. So he's really got the insight from the sales perspective, from the finance perspective, from the company perspective of how important value quantification is and, and what it means to run a business. Thank you, Harvey. I, we really appreciate our partnership with, with SAMA. Maybe before I jump right into the value quantification uh, discussion, there's a point I'd like to address because it's so topical and timely, which is the pandemic. Maybe if you could just give our audience some insight into what are finance teams doing right now in the face of the pandemic and how are they helping their companies navigate through this? I think really what, from a SAM perspective especially, what people, what SAMs would want to think about is that not all companies will be in the same position during this pandemic. So there are some companies that are struggling to keep up with the new volume of business that they have. Now, if you're in uh, an IT sector and you're making face masks and you're making uh, respirators, or other, others are at the exact other end of the spectrum where they're just struggling to survive. Their business has been completely shut down. Uh, they're not able to, to make payments on, on their facilities that they have. They're not uh, servicing the debt that they have. And so I think from a SAM perspective, and, and we often say this about really in, in all environments, but is understanding and taking the time to understand uh, where your customer is and not thinking that sort of it's really one size fits all. So most of the, you know, obviously if you think a lot of people are in that environment where business has been disrupted, I think in that environment, you're, you know, CFOs and the finance team at this point, you know, they're doing a couple of really key things. One is they're trying to figure out where they are from a cash perspective. They're trying to figure out how do we, how do we keep the lights on? How do we pay the people that we want to pay? How do we make it through this pandemic and survive so that we're able to thrive on the other side? Uh, as a business and as an operation. And some of the key parts of that are really touching base with some of your larger customers, right? So, you know, a lot of these companies have substantial accounts receivable balances. So if you have a 10 or 20% customer that is at risk of going out of business, uh, that could really put, even if you're doing okay, that could put a significant, you know, have a significant impact on your cash flow and on, on your ability to, to continue to function normally. So, I think one of the things from a SAM perspective when you think about that is that there's really touch base with your, with your credit department, touch base with your own internal finance team. What you don't want to have is your customer calling to place an order and finding out that they're on credit hold because the finance team has made a determination that, uh, that they're a credit risk. So from a SAM perspective, you really want to get ahead of that. Talk to your finance team, understand what risks they're seeing, and connect with your customer and understand where they're at. Maybe you can help educate your finance team that this particular customer is in a different position, and at the very least, have these conversations up front with your customer as to the risks that you're seeing, 
and, and think about ways, creative ways, about helping to mitigate those risks and continue to strengthen that relationship that we start playing. Wow, Chris, that's great advice. Thank you very much for that. So now let's more get into the, this value quantification topic. I, I think the first way I think about it is that, you know, you're the CFO, you're thinking that you're going to make it a substantial expenditure. Your team has been evaluating suppliers. And if it's a big enough deal, I guess it'd be interesting to know how and when the finance team gets involved. And, and what are you looking for when you, when you do get involved in these large procurement decisions? So generally speaking, the finance team broadly. So when we think about a finance team, all the groups that report up to the CFO, now, often you have an accounting department, you know, led by a controller of the organization. You have a treasury department, which is really more the cash management and, and managing foreign exchange and, and other aspects of the business. Uh, and then you often have a finance team, which is analyzing uh, different deals, transactions, analyzing the business, uh, providing you know, advice and counsel on, on different areas. And procurement also often rolls up into that, that finance organization. And so when you're thinking about that finance team, really, I would, you know, almost every procurement or every purchase that's made, some aspect of that finance team is involved in, uh, in that transaction. And depending on the complexity of, of, that, of the transaction or the size of the transaction, you'll have more parts of that uh, finance team uh, involved in the transaction. And as the team is evaluated, obviously the simplest one that we often think about is procurement side of things, where... You know, they're sending something out to market, they're looking for a low price. That's really the, those are the easy transactions. I think as, as SAMs, we're often trying to find a way to avoid that situation. And, and often you can avoid that situation by getting engaged with other parts of the finance. So the, the, once it gets to procurement and they're really looking for that low price, they're trying to simplify the bid process uh, so that they can really measure things purely based on price. Other parts of the finance team are gonna be evaluating you know, what are the benefits? What are the impacts on revenue? What are the impacts on the cost uh, structure of the organization? Uh, are, there, are we going to be eliminating other costs? And really thinking about, you know, whether you're looking at an ROI analysis or return on investment analysis or an NPV analysis, which is a net present value analysis, thinking about those, both the benefits and the, and the impacts of the benefits as well as the costs. Uh, and I think that's really, you know, if, if as SAMs, if we're able to engage some of those other parts of the finance organization beyond procurement, uh, we can have allies in, inside that have a better understanding of both the cost side, which is obviously the one most people focus on, but as well as the benefits to the business. And, and those are the people that are often charged with trying to figure out how do we quantify those benefits internally. And, and at the end of the day, do we believe what the SAMs are telling us? Uh, if someone's coming in and selling us something, do we believe that the benefits that they're espousing will actually come to fruition and what, uh, what's our expectation of, of completing this, uh, this sale or this transaction or, or this partnership with this new company. Wow, that's really interesting. Maybe just a quick follow-up question on that, Chris. So I guess in your, in your past roles, you would be contacted by suppliers that were about to make a proposal and, and working with them a little bit to understand more what they're doing before the final decision is made, that, that's welcome? You have an open door to those kinds of conversations? Open door might not be quite the, the white way to describe it, but you know, there, there are two ways that those, those interactions often happen. One is 
you know, if, you, if you've been asked to look and evaluate different options and or maybe you think one option is better than the other, or you've discovered some benefits, or you've had an opportunity to be in, be in on some of the initial meetings and, and you've created a model that allows you to sort of see those benefits. The other is if there's a senior leader within the organization that's asked you to, to really you know, create a model or evaluate two different options to make a recommendation to them. And when that happens, you really are looking to get the best information. And if you, if you can find somebody, um, you're not typically going to go out and seek out salespeople or SAMs to, to talk to. But if somebody has, has been able to make that connection and deliver that, that value of helping you understand how that may, maybe it, be le it might be le them leveraging how they've used that product or solution uh, with another customer, providing some real insights into your business uh, in ways that, uh, that their product will has been used in the past and will have those impacts. That conversation can be a, will be a very, very valuable. Ah, fantastic. Are there any other tips or, or quick wins, so to speak, for suppliers when they're, when they're getting, you know, you're, I suppose by the time it gets to you, you're starting to get to the end of the decision-making process when it gets to the high enough level in finance. So any other tips that uh, you can offer? Yeah, you know, I would say if you can, I would, I would try to get into some of the finance uh, team or the CFO, if you have that access, earlier in the process. You know, a lot of times, you know, one of the, one of the key things that SAMs do is reframe the conversation from one around purely cost of a particular product to uh, demonstrating that, that having a, a conversation around value, including some of maybe the unique benefits that you bring or your organization brings to the table, those conversations really need to happen up front. And, and you may need a more senior person within your customer to make that case internally that these other benefits that you know you have and you know you can deliver should be included in, in the evaluation process. And so having those conversations earlier is really a, a critical piece. Once the RFP has come out, it's, it's really too late to have those conversations. But early in the process, or even before the process has started, having those detailed conversations and, and sharing what you know and, uh, and, and sharing how you, how you can uh, help your customer think about that, that benefit is, that's the time you want to be having this conversation. That's great, Chris. It, it makes me wonder, is it, was it common? I mean, I, you know, I, I have to say when I was talking to our finance people internally or, or at the customer, that was always a bit of an uncomfortable conversation for me because I wasn't a career finance guy. And is it okay if you bring one of your company's financial people to that conversation to, uh, you know, help basically speak in, in the, uh, the finance language? Absolutely. And I think it's, in many cases, it's safer to do that. I would say be a little bit careful uh, who you bring on those um, calls, right? So, you know, one of the companies that I was at, one of the larger companies, that was part of my role. I would, I would go with our sales team, some of our SAMs, and, and, and be that person to help structure the transaction, understand what the customer is, is thinking about, what their needs are. And we can have a much more detailed conversation. And, and really, you know, we often talk about finance is the, is the language of business. And so if you're a, you know, a kindergarten level or first grade level understanding of finance, some things in the conversation you might miss. Whereas if you bring an expert or bring somebody that is comfortable having those customer 
conversations, you will get much more out of what are the KPIs, what are the real things that your customer is needing and is interested in, what are the things that, what are the risks that they're trying to manage. And so having that conversation at a higher level will, will really provide a lot of value in how you want to structure your, your offer, how you want to structure your deal, and how you can find ways of, of, of finding a mutual win-win relationship with your customer. But I, there's often not a lot of finance people at your company that you would want to take on a, on a customer visit. And so you really have to be uh, careful who you, who you bring and, 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 and have some coaching with them. And, and once you find somebody who's great at it, I would encourage you to take them as often as you can on, on those meetings because their insights coming out will be uh, incredibly valuable. Well, that's, that's excellent. So a couple of key points there. You've, you've really got to have those, these conversations, the proactive conversations, let's say, before the RFP. When, when you're first starting to propose the deal and, and, and in the discovery phase, I would say, with the customer of trying to figure out what it is they're trying to accomplish and what their goals are and those kinds of things. And it's okay to bring a finance person, but they've got to be customer ready, so to speak. Right. And, you know, I think that's often we talk about that in, in most executive conversations, right? If you're bringing your CTO and sometimes even your CEO uh, into a, a customer meeting, uh, you want to make sure that they are they're ready. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, they are really, you know, as we often talk at, at, you know, from the summit group, is thinking about the them side, thinking about your customer and not walking in and, and, and really changing the conversation and wanting to, you know, share all of the things that they know. It really needs to be about the customer. It's an engagement where you're looking to find out as much as you can um, about your customer and, and where you can really make an impact uh, on their business. Right, right. Uh, wow, that's great advice. Thank you. The, you know, something else I'm really curious about is it's certainly not uncommon for us sellers to make a claim that you'll get this much productivity or efficiency or energy savings or whatever it is that it might be. How, you know, sitting on the finance side of the fence when you hear a salesman say something like that, what kind of accuracy are you looking for and, and what, what would make you take that seriously is probably the, the the question. So, you know, we think, you know, in the training that we do at the summer group, we often talk about them, us, fit, and proof, right? right. So, you know, once you've defined the, the, the fit part, really the proof is where have you done this before? So if you can share an example where you've worked with another customer and you've been able to demonstrate the value that you've, you've delivered, then that's going to be much more believable. If, it's, if there's really no information, there's no way to prove what you've done, then I'm going to have to discount the benefit that you are providing at a, at a certain level. And that is, becomes the, the art as opposed to the science determining what the real benefit will be for our organization. I think that the, the second part of that is, is really, if, I mean, if this is an early case for you, is, is working with your customer to develop the mechanisms to measure the value that you're bringing. And, and, be, and really, if you believe in the solution that you have, you want to know what those outcomes are. Whether it's positive or negative, you really want to know. Because 
if you're if you are are engaged with your customer, even if the outcomes are not exactly what you expected, but you have you're now working with them to change that so that you are delivering what you have, you know your customer will figure it out. And what you don't want them to do is figure it out, and then the next time there's a, there's an opportunity, they just exclude you from the opportunity because they think that they you misled them in the first example. And the, and the second part of that is if, if you're able to deliver that value, measure that value, when the, those executives are moving to another company, you're not a supplier, right? You become really what, what we often talk about as sort of that trusted advisor or value co-creator. And you've moved up that, that pyramid uh, of, of success and, and they're gonna bring you with them. If they know that they can bring you along and you're gonna, bringing your solution in will, will deliver a measurable value to their new company, they will bring you along, they will refer you, they will recommend you because that's an easy uh, referral or it's an easy process to do. So, so you want to uh, really identify how you would measure that long-term and, and work with your customer to be able to get the data that you need to be able to quantify uh, that value uh, after you've made the sale because that then becomes not only a big benefit internal to that customer, but it becomes your proof to your next customer uh, that you're going out and having that conversation with. Wow, that's great, Chris. Uh, you know, Im implicit in what you're saying is if you were sitting on the customer side and the finance side, you'd be tracking after the, the procurement uh, is process is done and, and it's the whatever you bought is in place, you're actually following up then to make sure that it's delivering the value that was promised. Yeah, especially if you're, a, if you're doing a, a purchase where you're not buying it based on the lowest price, right? If you're buying something based on a, on a defined value or on a promised value, you'll be wanting to attract to see if that value is delivered. But I think what's also you know, often interesting to think about is when you have, if someone's making a claim that they're going to grow revenue, and let's say revenue is up 50%. Well, there's a, probably a lot of people, you know, including the SAMs on your, in your own company, but a lot of different things that have happened to, make, to cause that impact. And so I think one of the challenges is often to decide which part, which thing that you did caused the impact. So had I not purchased the new CRM, would my revenue have been up 49% or only 30%? Or would it have maybe even been up 55% you know, because of, you know, for some reason, right? So that's the part that if you could, you'd wanna be able to figure out if, it's, if, if I'm not a partner of yours, what would your business look like without us? And if you can really make that contrast, I think that's something that, uh, that drives a lot of value at your, at your customer. Right. Is it fair to say, following up on that, that it's, it's more reliable from a, a finance perspective to look at things that are a cost savings versus a revenue gain? If it's a cost saving that's directly related to that product, yes. If it's a cost savings around, let's say, efficiency of you know, people, right? That's a little bit more nebulous, right? Because there's a lot of ways that that efficiency is being delivered. Right. Um, but I think you know, as much as you can tie what you're doing uh, to that product, I mean, you know, if you could do an A-B testing, for example, so if you could have 
one sales team that's using your product, one sales team that's not using your product, and, and, and see how their, how, their, how their revenues are growing. That's a great way to, to measure the difference and, and the impact of, of what you're able to deliver for that, for that customer group. So you have to get, sometimes you have to get creative and, and really, you know, we think about it as, as really creating a hypothesis. And then you're trying to prove that hypothesis and creating structuring, measurable goals and structuring the, the measurements that you need to be able to either prove or disprove uh, that hypothesis of the benefit. Interesting. So, and it kind of gets me uh, to a, a point because, you know, we asked, we certainly want the SAMs to be proposing innovative solutions. Often new, it could be to both companies. It could be something that's hot off the presses, so to speak, and it's, you might be our, our first customer for something like that. Is it, would it be good practice in that case to say, to be honest about that, first of all, and to propose a pilot where you, you could, and, and set it up to measure, to say, you know, this is uh, what we expect. This is what we project to be delivered. And, uh, you know, we're going to do everything in our power, but let's, let's measure it and be sure that we're, what we're saying is, is true. And what are the uh, benefits perhaps that we didn't anticipate and what are maybe some things that some negatives that we didn't uh, foresee that would you look favorably upon something like that? If you were making that, you know, a pilot is a great way to test, you know, test whether or not you're going to get the benefits or the cost savings or the revenue increase. I think most finance people uh, are actually fairly adept at, at, at making assessments of things that we don't know exactly what the outcome would be. Right. So, you know, if you think of a, of a company, you pick it, you know, any company, you know, if you looked at, at Boeing, for example, you know, a, a year and a half ago, two years ago, when you were trying to project what would their revenue be in two years? I'm not sure you would have forecasted COVID. You probably wouldn't forecasted, you know, planes being grounded, right? So it, it's, there are a lot of uncertainties that, you're, that you're, you may have to put into uh, different models that you would have. I think the less risk there is in those outcomes, then the more value or the, 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 the greater, basically, the, the more benefit you will get rewarded for in, in the benefit. So if you have uh, in the benefit analysis, right? So if you have, you're saying you're going to deliver a million dollars of benefit and it's absolutely guaranteed. So you say to the customer, if we don't demonstrate we have a million dollars of benefit, we'll write the check for the, for the difference. It's guaranteed. So the customer can bank on that. They know they have that. If you say that we're going to deliver you this benefit and it works one out of 10 times, then arguably, that benefit would have about $100,000 worth of value. And so, you know, because that's sort of the, that's what the math tells you, right? And what's interesting is, is uh, you know, when you think about that, right? So there are ways of measuring that and determining that. So if somebody else comes in and says, you know, I'll give you the 100,000 option. Someone else says, I'll give you this guarantee. I'm going to take the one, even though they, the expected benefit is the same, I'm going to take the one that has less risk. Right? So understanding the risk of your solution, the risk of obtaining the benefit that you are wanting to deliver is, is an important aspect. Interesting. And is, would you say just kind of generally that, that risk factors into almost everything you're looking at from a financial perspective? There's a... Yeah, 100%, right? So every calculation that you're making, you often use what we call a discount rate. And so 
that discount rate is higher depending on the, the risk that you have, right? So if you think of, you know, and something often people understand, you know, bonds, treasuries have lower interest rates, lower risk, high yield bonds, higher risk that have higher interest rates, higher risk that's in essence that discount rate that people are factoring into that. So uh, keeping that in mind, I hadn't really thought about this. So I guess a SAM, if they're talking about sort of a cost benefit approach, they should be thinking cost benefit and, and risks to you and how we'll mitigate those risks. That should be, a, if you will, a third leg of the stool to, to really make it stand up and be sturdy, a sturdy right. property. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I often, you know, we, when we do trading sessions, we often help SAMs really think about four aspects of cash flow, right? So help your customer get more cash from their existing business, right? Help them find new sources of cash, so new revenue opportunities, reduce the risk in the cash that they are receiving, right? So finding ways of, of, of reducing that risk so it makes it more certain that their cash is, is available. And then the final one is really getting getting cash in quicker, right? So, you know, we often tell people, you know, it's, it makes a lot of sense, right? But, you know, if you can deliver a dollar today, that's worth more than a dollar in five years, right? Every customer would rather have that dollar today than, you know, a year from now or five years from now. And so, you know, what really what we're doing is helping the SAMs as they're, as they're engaging with their customer and understanding their customer understanding those sort of four tenets and how do you ask great questions and understand your customer's business so that you're able to uh, think with them how you can help them deliver on around those four goals. Fantastic. That's great. Something else, Chris, I'd like to explore is that, you know, research says that what we're seeing from procurement surveys and, and SAMA research that decisions are increasingly being made by committees. And, you know, I, we even see figures that typically there's six to 10 people on a, on a significant procurement purchase item committee. So a couple of questions come to mind. How often would you say, based on your experience, would finance be part of that committee? And, and what are they, you know, what do you, what are they looking at? What are, what, what are they there for, so to speak? Right. So I think, you know, finance is going to be part of that committee virtually every time. Right? So uh, whether it's just the procurement people or you have other finance people from the organization uh, that are part of that committee, they will be there you know, really almost every time. You know, I often, when you think about the person that, that sort of generates the numbers, who does the evaluation on, on, uh, and again, we're really talking here where it's not just low cost, but you've got other evaluation criteria. You know, the person that, that's running those numbers or creating those models has a lot of influence because there are a number of judgment decisions that you're making uh, as we just talked about. What's the risk of one solution versus another solution? You're making a judgment decision as to what the discount rate maybe should, if it should be different for you know, a solution from one company versus another company. So that, that finance person, whether it's in procurement or outside of procurement, has a significant influence you know, on, that, um, on that operation. So if the finance team comes out and says, you know, option A 
has a $10 million benefit for our business and option B has a $1 million benefit for our business. You know, it's, it's possible that the, that the business leads will overrule that, but it would take a, you know, you'd have, you're really going out on a limb. Like you really have to believe that that's the case because, you know, if, if you're a, a, you know, a business lead and you overrule the, the analysis that suggested that there was $9 million more benefit, if your, your solution that is, doesn't deliver that extra $9 million of benefit, then it's really, you know, people are going to be looking at you and saying, you know, you made a bad choice. So the, the finance people often have a, a fairly significant role in that, in that conversation because they do control the numbers. And they're often also the people after the fact that will be doing the measurement to determine how much of that value is there. So if they are leaning towards a particular solution and they're also creating the model that's going to doing the analysis afterwards uh, to determine which one makes more sense, you, know, you, can, you can sort of think about which one they might be favoring as they're thinking about how they're going to model something or how they're going to you know, analyze different things. And it might be subconscious, right? We're, out, you know, we're not necessarily going to, people aren't going to do it intentionally. But we all have subconscious biases around things that you know, we have historically supported or uh, historically liked. So, so that finance, the finance team often has a, a very you know, a big impact. Obviously, it has to meet all of the hurdles, you know, delivers the technology solutions you need. It delivers all of the um, um, other requirements that, that the organization has. But once you get to that point, if you're measuring against different levels of benefit, different levels of cost, and then you'll see the finance team has a, a significant role in that. Great. Wow. And I'm, I'm just curious because it, there's, uh, obviously there's a CFO and then there's, uh, forgive the term, a bit of an army that reports to the CFO. Who are the people that are most likely to be, what, what kind of titles would you see? Is that, was it the CFO of themselves that's in a buying decision? When would they show up and when would they delegate that? And who do they likely delegate that to? Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, the procurement arm is going to be the one that's doing most of the buying. I think you're going to find, you know, depending on the structure of the business, right, the, the controller group, often there, there may be divisional CFO. So, if you have a divisional president, you may have a divisional CFO that that relationship is often very a very tight relationship because they're doing the forecasting of the business. They're, they're really you know, managing the cost of the business you know, for that executive. And if they do their job well, that executive is often hitting their numbers, which is, so you know, look for those divisional CFOs, divisional controllers, you know, directors of finance might be their title, depending on the size of the, the, size of the organization. You know, and I think as you're looking at that, it's, it's you know, the, same, the people that you're engaging with at your customer uh, may often be able to give you some insights as to who are the people that are, have the opportunity to influence uh, the decision or who, who are the people that, that will be uh, doing the evaluations, you know, or, or measuring the success of a, of a particular project. Interesting. No, that's great. That uh, really makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking about this, the, well, the, the, the key criteria, I mean, if, if you just kind of, it's kind of the last point, I guess, on this sub substantial expenditure, you know, something where there's a lot of money on the table. It, is it this, you mentioned before, the four points about how cash is, how it's going to affect the cash. Is that, are those really the, 
the, typically the key success factors that are going on in the, the finance evaluation and what's driving the modeling and driving the, the, the view on the, the goodness or badness of a particular. Yeah. Model. So, you know, in short, yes, right. They may be measured in different ways, right? Companies will have different, you know, KPIs that they will, that they will use to get to, you know, those sort of those ultimate goals, right? right. So, uh, the, the KPIs that they're measuring may be, you know, may have different titles and they have different uh, terminology that they're using within the organization. I think that's, you know, as we talk to Sam, that's an important part, right? So you need to understand what are the KPIs of the organization and make sure that any benefits that you're having, you're putting into the language of the customer and helping them truly understand what, how you're impacting the things that they've highlighted that matter most to them. And you, know, you may have great terminology that works with your largest customer. Somebody else might, might use different language internally. Make it easy for them. Right? Change, your, change your analysis so it fits their language, it fits their, their thinking, so it's easy for them to retell that story internally in their, in, in, inside their organization and share your story, share your benefit in the language of your customer. And Chris, should I, you know, I'm a Sam, I'm, I've got this new thing that I'm going to propose to you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing some discovery within the customer to, you know, figure all this out. So I should be asking those questions. What are the, what are the key KPIs? How, how will you measure that? These kind of things I should be asking, again, before the, the RFP goes out. These are things that I should be, make part of my discovery process. Is that what I'm hearing? They should be part of your discovery process. I think there's a fair amount of that information if you have a public customer that you can find out uh, from a you know before you go into the meeting. Okay. You know, I, I always found you know when someone okay. came in and wanted to talk to me and you know they were asking me you know what were our earnings last quarter. You know that was a very short meeting, right? Because they clearly had no they didn't spend any time on our business. If they came in and said you know last quarter you get you earned X and you were, you know, you were, you didn't have as much growth as your peers, or you outgrew your peers, and asked a question like, you know, what do you attribute that difference to? Like, that's a much better question. Somebody not only understands our business, but understands where we are relative to our our peer set, and you know, listen to the earnings calls. Like, there's a lot of great opportunities to get information on both public and private companies, but definitely, you, know, you want to do your homework. You want you want to be going in with a view and a, a set of information that you're looking for people to, to confirm, to provide non-public or more detailed information to you. And the best way to do that is to, is to you know, start with having a good base of information and then asking some great open-ended questions. Great, great, great. Boy, that's, that's fantastic advice. I, I can see, I, I wish I could do my 35 years over again. I could, there are some things I could improve on, I can tell. You know, maybe the last question I have, Chris, is that, you know, at this point in time, now you've trained a number of SAMs in your new role, relatively new role in training and consulting, and from a variety of industries. Is there anything you can see broadly that, that SAM should be doing that, the, you know, just good general advice, kind of as a takeaway from this conversation. What, what, what are the top two or three? What? Well, I don't want to limit you, but what are the top things they should be doing to to make themselves better strategic account managers? 
Yeah, I think really, you know, the first would be understand that finance is the business of language. You know, we've seen a trend over the last couple of decades where finance has played a, a much more important role within every organization. And so getting a, a good base understanding of that language uh, so that you're able to have uh, higher level conversations with your customer and, and, and better understanding of, of your customer, their metrics, what they're doing. So don't be afraid to learn a new language. You know, as we get older, it gets harder and harder to learn new languages. But, but really, you need, to, you need to take the time to learn that language and, and have, if you want to be truly a SAM, and as we often talk about, sort of being the CEO of your customer, you know, CEOs understand finance. They're not CFOs. That's a different role. But you, but you need to be able to be fluent in, or as, you know, fairly fluent in that language so you can have those conversations. I think the, the second, really, the second big picture thought is you know, one of our core principles is, is what we call third box thinking. So understanding your customer's customer and that financial flow from your customer's customer into your customer and into your business and how you can impact both your customer and their, their customer and the financials of both and measuring that impact uh, and measuring the value that you're able to bring along that value chain. Most of the best ideas that we see in, in customers come from uh, the outside in. They're not, you know, a lot of those ideas are, are, are come from listening to the customer's customer and thinking about how those, how they can then, how they can have those, uh, the impact that you'd like to have. And I think, you know, the, really the last point is as you're uh, thinking creatively and co-creating value with your customer, uh, you want to quantify. So people that can quantify the value they have and can monetize that value, uh, the SAMs that do that are, are going to make a lot more money for their companies. Those that can't, the assumption is on the other side is you don't know what the value is that you're bringing to the table. So we either have to figure it out or we should just be in a true procurement situation where uh, we're going to go low cost because we don't know what the benefits are. So if you can quantify that value, demonstrate that value to your customer and help them understand what's the difference if, if they work with you or they work with your competitor or they just do nothing. What do those three different scenarios look like from a financial perspective and, and, and share that story with them in, in their own language uh, so that then they can retell that story and be your advocate on the inside of their organization. So. Fantastic, Chris. Really, really great answer. Great session. Really enjoyed speaking with you today. I can't thank you enough for everything that you do for the SAMA community. So thanks for your time and, you know, be safe and be well in these dangerous times. And we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank Here's you. Harvey. Thank you.